Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Thank you for joining us here today. Merry Christmas Eve. Uh, I guess winter decided to show up. I don't know about you guys, but uh, it's way too cold for me. I don't like it one bit, but I'm glad y'all are here. Uh, I promise not to keep you too long. Parents, I promise won't preach as long as I normally do, although it is much warmer in here than outside, so maybe you do want to hang out. Um, but today, I just want to spend a few minutes to, to just remind us all and center our hearts on, on what this season is really about. Uh, I love Christmas. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I love Christmas time. Our kids love it. We get excited. Like, it's a fun time of year, right? There's Christmas lights. There's parties. There's family. There's good food. Uh, lots of fun going around. I know it's busy. I know it's crazy. We've all got a million things going on, but it's a lot of fun, right? It's a lot of fun. But as great as those things are, what matters most, what this season is really about, is Jesus. It's Jesus. It's about, it's about God himself leaving the glory and the riches of heaven to come down to earth to be our Savior. It's about him loving us so much that he didn't leave us in our sins, but he came to rescue and redeem and set us free. And this is, this is why we celebrate, right? This is why we as a church for centuries have marked this time of year to say, you know what, this is, the, this is the time, this is the moment that we are going to celebrate the coming of Jesus, the coming of our Savior. And it all starts with his birth, right? That's the beginning of the story. It all starts with his birth. And, and the birth of Jesus is spoken about all throughout your Bibles. I mean, even in the Old Testament, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, we see this prophesied and spoken about. God saying, I'm, I'm coming, I'm coming to save you, I'm coming to rescue you. And then in all four of the Gospels, we have different versions of Jesus' story told from different perspectives, giving us different details on this significant moment. Uh, today, I want to center our focus on Luke's versions. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up to Luke chapter 2. We're going to hang out in the first 14 verses today. Uh, if you don't have your Bible, it's all good. You can follow along on this screen right here. We'll have the verses up there for us. But it all starts here in Luke chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 1. It says this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Okay, so let's pause there. The governor at that time, or the, the, the emperor of Rome at that time, called for a census. So everybody had to go back to their hometown. So here's, here's this young, engaged couple, Joseph and Mary leave their hometown where they're living in Nazareth. It's in the north part of Israel. And they travel all the way down, hundreds of miles down to Judea, down to the city, this tiny little city of Bethlehem. Because that's where Joseph's family was from. He's from the line of David. Yes, that, that David, King David, all the way in your Old Testament. Joseph is a descendant of King David. So he goes all the way down to Bethlehem. And Mary... His wife, his soon-to-be wife, they're engaged, is pregnant. And not just a little pregnant, she's real pregnant. She's about to give birth kind of pregnant. So just kind of imagine you're having to travel by horseback at this time, probably some walking in there as well, 
hundreds of miles back down to your hometown. It's a terrible time to be traveling. And on top of that, when they get to this little tiny town of Bethlehem, because everybody's coming into town for this registration, the town is packed. It's packed, and there's no room for her to give birth. She has to give birth in this area. We don't even know. It could have been a, some, some room in a house, some living room, or some barn. We're not really sure, but she didn't have a private place to give birth to God himself. And that's what's significant in this moment. See, this is no ordinary birth. This is no ordinary baby. If we were to back up in Luke chapter 1, we would read about an angel coming to Mary and saying, Mary, you're going to be pregnant, and it's going to be with God's baby. It's like, that's crazy, right? She's a virgin and she's pregnant. Like, this is insane. This isn't possible, right? But that's, that's what our God does. He does the unthinkable. He does the impossible. So here she is with child, with God's child. The same angel visits Joseph as well to, to tell him, hey, what Mary's telling you about being pregnant with God's baby, it's real, all right? I'm mean, just trying to imagine his perspective. Here, here comes this this woman that he's engaged, she's like, hey, I'm pregnant with God's baby. It's like, what? Hold on. Hey, time out. What's going on? But this angel confirms, no, this is true. This is what's happening. So this is, a, this is a special baby. This is a special birth. This is no ordinary birth. But here, here, here's the, just the, the incredible part of God's story is he comes in the most humble way possible, right? He comes without a private room, without some special place set aside for him. He gets wrapped in cloth and laid in a manger, an animal feeding trough. God himself being laid down where animals eat. And the story doesn't stop there, it it continues. Verse eight of Luke chapter two, it says this. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields, keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. So God announces his birth, his son's birth to these shepherds in a nearby field. And he tells them this, this this is the message of Jesus' birth. He says that it is good news of great joy for all people. That's the message of Jesus, good news of great joy for all people. So I just want to spend a few minutes talking about what that means for us today. So first, it's the message of Jesus' birth is it's good news. On the count of three, everybody say good news. One, two, three, good news. Come on, y'all can do better than that. One, two, three. There we go. It's good news. Jesus' birth is good news. What's the good news? It's that the Savior is here. He says, for in the city of David, a Savior was born, the Messiah, the Lord. And again, this points back to what we see in the Old Testament, all throughout the Old Testament. God is telling us, I'm sending you a savior. I'm sending you a rescuer. I'm sending you the Messiah. And now the time has come. The savior is here. And he comes as a baby. And what's this baby saving us from? Is he saving us from from poverty or oppression or, or brokenness or sadness? No, no, he's, he's saving us from something far greater, from something far worse. See, God comes to save us from our sins. 
to save us from our sins. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all, that all people are sinners. Every single one of us is a sinner. What it means to sin is it means to do anything, say anything, or think anything that goes against what God would want. And by that definition, we can all admit, I won't make you raise your hands, but we can all admit that, yes, I am a sinner. I have all done something or said something that would go against what God wants. But the Bible doesn't say that we just choose sin. It also says that we are by nature sinners. We are by nature sinners, which means that from the moment of our birth, we are bent away from God and towards our sin. And anybody that's spent time with any toddler can say amen to that, right? It's okay. It's a safe place. We don't have to teach our kids how to sin. They just know how to do it because we're sinners by nature. So we are sinners by nature. And the Bible also says that the wages of our sin, what our sin deserves, what our sin has earned for us, what we deserve because of our sin is death. This is what it says in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. What we have earned, what we deserve because of our sin is death and wrath and punishment. See, when we sin, we sin against a holy, eternal, perfect God. And because of that, the, the punishment for that crime should, should match. So our punishment should be eternal. When the Bible speaks of death, it speaks of eternal separation from God forever. That's what our sins deserve. That's what it's earned for us. And you might think, okay, well, how do, I, how do I crawl out of this hole, all right? How do I get rid of my sin? How do I do this? Do I just, do I try really hard? And that's, that's typically what we do. We think, man, I can save myself. I can do this. I can, at the end of my life, I can, I can have my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, and I'll be fine, right? I'll be, I'll be saved. I, I've done enough, right? I've tried really hard. My intentions were good. I can earn my salvation. No, no. Because our God is perfect, his standard is perfection. If we don't want to be held accountable for our sins by God, we have to be perfect. And if we're honest with ourselves, we can all safely admit that, that I'm, not, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. None of us are perfect. So if we can't be perfect, if we can't save ourselves, then what? Well, that's the good news, is that we don't have to save ourselves we don't have to earn salvation because God saves us. This is why he came, to save us from our sins. He, that, that's why this is good news, church. Christmas, this time of year, reminds us that God came to earth, that he did not leave us in our sins. He did not leave us to face wrath and punishment. He came to save us. And the way Jesus does that is he lived the perfect life that you and I never could live. He was perfect. And then he died the death that you and I deserved. So he lived the life that we never could live, and he died the death that we absolutely deserved. He died on the cross. He sacrificed his life for us, taking on all of our sin, all of the wrath, all of the punishment. He dies in our place. He takes that on for us. And then three days later, church, he busts out of the grave. He conquers death. He conquers sin. He conquers the devil, providing the way for salvation. The coming of Jesus this time of year reminds us of this truth, that Jesus came to save us. And church, that is good news. There is no better news than that. We have a Savior who has come to rescue us.
So the birth of Jesus is good news. The second thing it is, is it's good news of great joy. On the count of three, say great joy. One, two, three. There you go. Good job, church. It's great joy. The birth of Jesus brings us great joy. Now, why joy? Why joy? Why is it not good news of great peace, of great hope, of great comfort, right? Doesn't, doesn't God provide those things too? Yes, absolutely. But why, why does God say the coming of Jesus is good news of great joy? Well, it's because the birth of Jesus is a celebration, it's a celebration, and that way it's no different than any other birth, right? When we have a birth in our family, when we have uh, a child, when somebody that we know has one, what do we do? We celebrate, right? That's a time of rejoicing. It's a time of excitement. We're not typically like, oh, man, I had a baby. Bummer. That's typically not how we react. We celebrate. We're like, oh, that's awesome. Let's tell everybody about it. Let's post a million pictures online. Let's send out birth announcements. This is a celebration. And God wants to celebrate his birth, too. It's a celebration as a Christ follower. If, if you in here say, yes, I, I follow Jesus, I've put my faith in Jesus, our lives should be one of joy. It should be a celebration of who God is and what he's done in our lives. It should be a life of joy. But if we're honest with ourselves, I think we would admit that, that we're not always marked with joy, are we? We wouldn't always say that our lives are marked with joy. Sometimes they're marked with frustration, sadness, pain, grumbling and complaining, right? Like we're not always marked with joy. And that's because too often we try to find our joy in the things of this world. We try to put our hope and our peace and our comfort in, in the things of this life. We put it in, in things like our, our jobs, or our marriage, or our kids, or our hope to be married or have kids one day. Or we, we put it in, in our possessions, in our finances, in our bank account. Or we try to find our joy in any number of worldly comforts that we have here in America. Or we try to find it in, in people's approval or in our social media likes. Right? There, there's a million ways that we can seek joy in this life. But what we find out far too often is that those things that we put our joy in, they don't last or they let us down, right? I mean, we put our hope in our jobs. We could lose our jobs at, at any moment, church. We put our joy in our family. Well, maybe you have the perfect spouse or the perfect kids, but, but that's not typically how it goes, right? Our spouse can let us down. Our, my family can tell you how many times I let them down on a regular basis, y'all. We put our hope in our kids. I don't know about you, but, but my kids don't always listen, right? Sometimes that can be a little frustrating as a parent. I can let us down. We put our hope in our finances, in our bank account, in the economy. We're living right now. Why we can't do that? Because the economy can tank at any moment, right? These things in life that we try to find joy and peace and comfort and satisfaction and fulfillment will let us down. They will not last. They can't provide the things that we so long for. We long for peace. We long for comfort. We long for something to put our hope in, something to find fulfillment and satisfaction, and we, we long for those things. We long for acceptance and unconditional love. We want that. And we try to find it in a million other things, but we can only find it in Jesus. We can only find it in Jesus. And this is why Jesus' coming should bring us great joy 
Because in Christ, we don't have to look anymore. We don't have to long for these things anymore. We don't have to try to earn love and acceptance from anybody or anything anymore. Church, our, our striving, our working, it's done. It's over in Christ because we find all of those things in him. So when we find our joy in Christ, we can have joy no matter what's going on in the world around us. We can have joy in Christ, even though the world may be just crumbling around us, right? We look out at this world and all we see is destruction, all we see is evil, all we see is a culture bent away from Jesus, right? We see all of these bad things in the world where we as believers can have joy and hope in Christ, not in what's going on in this world, but we look beyond this world, right? We can have joy in Christ because we know that no matter what happens here, this is the closest to hell we will ever get, that we have eternity and perfection with Jesus to look forward to. We can have joy in Christ even in the hardest in difficult moments of life, these moments that we struggle, these moments that bring us pain and hardship because we can remember the truth of Scripture that tells us even in our darkest moments, God has not abandoned us. He is always right there with us, leading us, guiding us, working all things together for our good and His glory so we can have joy in the hard moments. We can have joy in Christ because we know that no matter how much we struggle, no matter how much we fail in this life, that our God will always love us and accept us and approve of us. Not because of me, not because of what I've done, not because of what I've earned, but all because of what Jesus has done for me. All because of who Jesus is. It's only in Christ where we can find joy. And this is why his coming is good news of great joy. And the last part of his message is that it's for all people. On the count of three, say all people. One, two, three. All people. God's message is for all people. And I love that when God first, is, first announces his coming, he doesn't announce it to a king he doesn't announce it to a priest. He doesn't announce it to somebody important with a bunch of value and a bunch of societal power and influence, right? No, he announces it to shepherds. Shepherds. Now, I know we have a lot of shepherds here in, in, in this culture and in this world, but this was a lowly job at this time. Nobody was born and set out and you go, you know what I want to do with my life? I want to be a shepherd. That sounds awesome. Nobody did that. This was a lowly job. And who does Jesus announce his birth to first? It, it's these shepherds. This reminds us that Jesus' message of salvation isn't for those who have their act together. It isn't for those who we think are the best of us. It isn't for those who think that, that we think are, are the most deserving of God's salvation. That's not who Jesus' message is for. No, God's message is for those of us who know we're a mess. Who know we don't have our lives and our act together all the time? Who know that we're not deserving? Who know how broken and weary and worn down we are? Those of us who are tired of chasing after the things of this world, the empty promises of this life. Those of us 
who know we need a savior. That's who God's message is for. It's for all of us who know we need a savior. And the message of salvation, the message of Jesus being our savior is open to all who would believe. It's open to all who would believe. The Bible tells us that in order to find salvation, there's three things that we need to do. The first one is admit what we've been talking about. It's admit and confess that we're a sinner. It's looking at our lives and saying, you know what? Yeah, Travis, you're right. I'm a sinner. I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. So we admit and we confess that we're, we're a sinner that, that needs saving. And two, it says that we believe in Jesus. That means that we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, in who he is and what he's done. We believe, we know, we believe it to be true that Jesus came, that he lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross for our sins, and that he rose from the dead three days later. We believe that to be true, and we trust in him to save us, not ourselves. We confess we're a sinner. We believe that Jesus is our Savior. And three, we commit our lives to him. We say, you know what, Jesus, I'm not living for Travis anymore. I'm not living for myself anymore. I'm not living for what I want in life. I'm living for you. I'm giving my life to you. This is what it, it means when it says that Christ is Lord. That word Lord means that Jesus is the boss, the king, the CEO of my life. He tells me what to do and where I'm going. My life is lived for him, not for me. So we admit and we confess we're sinner. We believe in Jesus and we give our lives to him. When we do that, Jesus saves us from our sin. Now, one of the ways the Bible speaks of our sin and speaks of salvation is with this contrast of darkness and light. In the Bible, it tells us that when we live apart from Christ, we are living in darkness. So those of us who have not put our faith in Jesus, we are in darkness. Those of us that have put our faith in Jesus, anytime we stray away from that, and we live for our sin rather than Jesus, we are willingly stepping back into the darkness. But when the Gospel of John tells the story of Jesus' coming, John does it in a way where he talks about light coming, the light of God, the light of salvation coming into the darkness of this world. And that's what Jesus does. He comes and he brings the light of salvation, the light of Christ. And this light... It's more powerful than the darkness. First, or John 1, 4 through 5 tells us that when Jesus comes, he brings light, and the light has overcome the darkness. So although the darkness of our sin, though the darkness of our lives seems strong, the message of Christmas is that Jesus' light is stronger. His salvation is stronger. He overcomes the darkness. He's the only one who can do it. In a moment, I'm going to pray. The band's going to come back up, lead us in a couple more songs, and we'll, we'll conclude our time together. And typically, typically this is where we would light candles, but we're in a gym, and I'm not trying to burn this place down or clean up a bunch of wax. So uh, I know it's a little hokey, but, but we got glow sticks. We got some glow sticks. So uh, we're going to turn the lights down. If you haven't gotten a glow stick, you can go grab one while I'm praying. But, but we're, going to, we're going to snap these glow sticks, and we're going to hold them. And this is what's going to remind us that Jesus' light has come to overtake the darkness, that his salvation brings us out of darkness and into his light.
So let's sing, let's hold our lights, and let's remember that Jesus has come to save us from our sins, that his coming is good news of great joy for all people. And also, as we do every Sunday, every time we gather, I know it's not Sunday, it's a Saturday, but every time we gather here at Haynes Creek, we, we have a moment where we as believers remember the death and resurrection and salvation of Jesus Christ, and we do that through the act of communion. So we have our communion table set up. Those of us who are believers in here, as we sing, as we worship, as we spend some time in prayer, as you're prepared, as you're ready, I would encourage you to go to the table. You can do it during these next two songs. You can do it on your way out. Whatever the Lord leads, however you're comfortable, you take the bread, you take the cup, you eat and you drink and you remember and we celebrate the salvation that Jesus alone, provide, Jesus alone provides us. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you for, Lord, your love. We thank you for your salvation. Lord, we thank you for your coming. Lord, we thank you that, that you did not leave us in our sins, that you did not leave us in the darkness, but you came to bring light. You came to bring salvation. You came to bring joy and peace. You came to bring redemption and freedom from our sins, Jesus. So during this time, amidst the busyness, amidst uh, all the craziness that's going on, Lord, would we remember why we have this time? Would, you, would we remember why we celebrate Christmas at all? And it's all because of you, because of your coming to save us. So Jesus, we thank you, we praise you, we lift high your name. It's your name we pray. Amen.